Hello and welcome back to the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. I am your co-host Matthew. And I am your other co-host Henry. Welcome back to this week's episode. Are we yeah. talking about sequels? Yeah. Some great, some bad, some in between. Yeah. Yeah. Very I thought we could uh, I thought we could start by, you know, maybe maybe doing some rough sort of what do we think makes a good sequel? Right. Well, I was thinking about this too. And um I think it's quite simple to start with like the Empire Strikes Back formula sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Of like split up all your characters that you introduce in the first film and just put them through the hardest choices they could possibly go through. Which to me is always a good general rule of um sequels, which works. Um do you agree with that? Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think it's a perhaps a balance of going a bit further and building, but mm-hmm. not going too far as to disregard What's come before it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, there's some great sequels that we use that, obviously, it's Empire Strikes Back itself. But mm. I also think that um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the second one, does it very mm. well as well. There's a, um, I think it's just like a... It's a way of making a che- your sequel not seem cheap. <laughs> because there are a lot of sequels out there that are like, the first one, again, but a different MacGuffin you're chasing after, you know? Yeah. Just... I like those type of sequels where, like, it's yeah. a stripped-back version of the first film. Would you say there was anything that they should definitely shouldn't do? Well, for me, it's when the sequel becomes, like, more world-building and less characters. So, there's, like... I'm trying to think of a few, but... Um, well, I guess stuff like Jurassic Park sequels in general and... Like, I'm trying to think of other ones, but there are definitely, like, many sequels that are just, oh, people like the first one, so let's just do the second one, but the world's going to get expanded, but the characters are just going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, a good example is Kingsman 2 for me. Um, yeah. is I don't hate Kingsman 2. It's just, it's just the first film again, but in America, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's pretty much the same, and it goes a little too far, I think, with some things. Yeah. It's one of those you like you like the first one, so it's going to be the same, same thing again, but double, you know. <laughs> and it doesn't always work. No, it doesn't no. always. Yeah. So now I've done that. Who mm-hmm. wants to kick off? Uh, you can, yeah. You sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. I've, obviously, we've mentioned Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, I want to recognise it as potentially the best sequel of all time. Could be, could be, yeah. <laughs> but should I? Is that like a given? Should I talk about it now, or should I move on to my uh, my main one? Well, I feel like people all over the world know that in general, people think that Empire Strikes Back is a great sequel. Yeah. But I'm not sure that everyone knows why, particularly. Yeah. So maybe you can just go through it as to why you think that, at least. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was gonna. I was gonna say just. One of the main reasons is it just sort of, like you said, it develops the characters and it pushes them forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just a case of exploring the world and deepening the lore. It is yeah. about the characters first and foremost. Oh, yeah, definitely. You are following the same characters from the first one. And mm-hmm. there aren't 
actually that many new characters introduced. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's there's a few of there's a few of the imperial officers. Yeah, Lando and, then, yes. and Lando and Lando, but Lando only sort of you know he sort of comes in mm-hmm. about halfway through maybe. Yeah, I guess and the emperor has a cameo. <laughs> he does. It's the it, you know it's, it's actually it's the first time that the emperor is shown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't throw them in. It doesn't rush them in. It introduces them when it's just right. Yeah, definitely. And. Like you said, it's about you know it's raising the stakes. It's about something bigger, and it's not just the same thing again. No, like so, there are yeah. Because Star Wars, it could have been just you know like Star Wars two, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it like could. it could have been again they're chasing after a different MacGuffin. The, there's going to be another weapon, uh, you know, and I feel like as much as I do like Return of the Jedi and like Force Awakens, I do feel that like they follow the sort of formula set up by the first Star Wars film a bit too closely sometimes. Yeah. And I think the reason that Empire Strikes Back stands out between them because it's a movie where there is no... There's not really an end goal. It's just survive for the movie, you know? Mm. It, it's just learn some things, have some character development, come to a complete, like an ending that feels... Like an ending, but not the ending, because it's part of a free act like trilogy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like if you remove Empire Tracks Back from those that trilogy and just had a duology of Return of the Jedi and New Hope, it would it would feel a lot less deep, and I feel like people would be talking about the series as it as they do now in a way. Yeah, yeah. It it almost feels it almost feels like too obvious a choice to explain. Yeah, it almost Do you want to go to the next one? What, mine, yeah, do you, want, do you want to do yours? You can do your first one. Yeah. yeah, okay. So I feel like I've always wanted to talk about this movie, but I never really have for some reason. But um, you know the Oceans trilogy, the Oceans 11, 12, 13? Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked as a really great sequel to me, Oceans 12. Mm-hmm. The same. Um. If you were to like Google this movie, you would first off see like it's got like a very low rating, quite like across the board almost. But um, I feel like with time, this that it's it's essentially mature as a movie, and you definitely can see it through a new lens of not just another heist film, because it's a very meta film, almost forced to come back and make a sequel because the first mm-hmm. one was very successful, and he thought. I want to make a sequel about how hard it is to make a sequel. Because <laughs> the characters at many points during the film talk about how much this is a hard, this is harder to make than the first one. This is a harder heist to pull off than the first one, but not in like a an elevation, more like a our heart is not in this one. So it becomes a movie that's not about the heist at all. It's about these characters just, just going through the motions, and instead of instead of trying to steal money for the kit for the purpose of stealing money, it's about Trying to prove that they're the best heist team in the world against the other per- like a, per- a villain that says he's the best. Mm-hmm. So trying, it's kind of like all dogs learning new tricks sort of thing. And it's an ins- it's an insane heist movie sequel because you want more of the same, but you get just a complicated, really like really complicated movie about like dealing with your past and like. But it's all done under the same style of the first one, but if anything, more so. It's the amount of 
there's like a lot of freeze frames in the movie that mm-hmm. don't ever have like so I don't really make sense compared like when you think about freeze frames but they work really well <laughs> and it's just it's an odd like indie art film that's a sequel to a really success, successful high stuff and it's just <laughs> I, always, I always adore it and to point out how weird it is um Julia Roberts is a is a an actress that plays a character in the first and second and oh the first two is the first two and at a certain point when they're they're back into a corner, the whole team, they decide that uh, this actress, Julia, Julia Roberts, no, the character that she's playing, will come in and pretend to be Julia Roberts, the actress in real life, <laughs> get away with the heist. And it's an insane, it, it's it's just so, uh, yeah, I don't, it's just so good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, I just can't describe it more than that. And it's, it's impressive, if anything, really. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the sequels, I didn't think you'd pull that one out. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. It's a it's just it's aged very well, I think. Compared That's to when good. it came out. Yeah. Do you want to go yeah. next? I have I have, yeah, I have another one. Okay. I watched this um the other day. It's probably one of my one of my favourite action films ever. Oh, okay. And that's okay. Aliens. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah. I, I just it's one of the it's one of the films that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I do. <laughs> right. Like I, I like I like the first, I like Alien. Yeah. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd probably say I think it's great. Yeah. As a horror, horror action character hybrid. Yeah. It's excellent. <laughs> the characters are excellent. The whole the whole premise is terrifying. It builds tension so well. Mm-hmm. Then it comes to aliens, and it's both it's both completely different, but also exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the part that I love. Um, I was mentioning before how it's about it's about raising the stakes. A sequel should be. Mm-hmm. I said that like Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Um, and <laughs> but while also keeping elements of the um, of the original. And a lot of a lot of sequels that involve, involve monsters, they probably get this wrong, and they think that having the having the monster in the sequel is, is that, that that's enough to satisfy similarity to the first one. Yeah. And a lot of cases, it's not. Mm-hmm. Whereas Aliens is the. They're, they're stranded on a planet in a facility surrounded by aliens. And even though there's more of them and they're more equipped, there's also more of the aliens and there's more. Yeah. In a way, they're more trapped. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, I, I have, I have I've even written some, some quotes, some thoughts as, as I was watching it. <laughs> I thought it'd be perfect for this. <laughs> um, the scene where they get ambushed in the basement of the plant, the Marines. Oh yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Oh yeah, it's because <laughs> the way they like they have the the cameras on the screens, mm-hmm. and you like see them all go out like, one by one. Mm-hmm. And it's also I don't know if it's intentional, but I'm pretty sure this is um, it's a it's a reference in not necessarily reference, but it's sort of. I don't want to say copied, 
Like yeah. Stranger Things sort of does something similar in well, the second season towards yeah. the end. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like, there's, there's all the tunnels underneath the the lab, and they send a load of soldiers in, and you see yeah. like the the heart rate monitors. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, it, I probably. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it's sort of it's haunting, like watching it actually happen. But it's also terrifying. You feel like the terror watching on the monitors. Mm-hmm. Because you're feeling what they're feeling as they're watching, yeah. All these highly qualified movies, yeah, yeah, just get slaughtered. <laughs> and beforehand, they're all they're bigging themselves up like, oh yeah, everything's going to be fine. We're going to protect you. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> and then they just go into one room and literally, I think, in fact, I think of the ones that go into the room, there's like ten soldiers that go in. I'm pretty sure only three come out. Yeah, <laughs> that's our main cast now. Yeah, um, I was gonna yeah. say as well. It's I don't know if you're big on this, but it's sort of the origin. It might be the origin of you know when people, particularly soldiers and things, shout, "We are leaving!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's quite a famous thing. It's in one of the yeah. Call of Duty games. I think so. Yeah, this might be the origin. It might be. Yeah, <laughs> Hicks Hick shouts it as the the RV arrives. Yeah, I think in I think with um, Aliens as a sequel, I think it's a very interesting one because it as it, like if you, if you like wrote it down as a sentence, it's essentially the same movie as the first one. It's people trapped in an area with an alien in space, and I but I think what's important is the difference in in genre and how they handle that situation. Because I think whilst the second the first one's definitely a full out horror, the second one is sort of like a a horror action mix and i feel like it works as a sequel as it's carrying on the first one but it's making it into something new but not completely departed from the first one mm-hmm. yeah i think I, th- I even think the aliens are more terrifying in this one than they are in the first one. Oh yeah because like you shoot one of them out of the 10 that are coming at you and see <laughs> like the acid blood or whatever <laughs> is everywhere yeah <laughs> yeah and they they escape in some vents at one point. Mm. The way they just scuttle through the vent, yeah, is just haunting. It really is <laughs> with the yeah. big long old head. Yeah, have you ever seen the third one? I haven't. I don't right. want to watch it because I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just feel it's like a... it's a bit of an insult to to this one. Yeah, it's. I'm it's... not going to judge it because I'm... sorry, go on. It's a mixed bag, you know. It's one of those. Hmm. I've. Also, one of my notes is there's there's one line which, for some reason, I found really amusing. Mm-hmm. It's when um, they set up the turrets to defend the room. Yeah. And like the they leave before one of the turrets runs out of ammunition. And they're oh. all, and they're all asking, what what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. And Hudson, uh, who's Bill Paxton, he replies by saying, <laughs> maybe they're demoralised. I just found that so funny yeah again like I don't think the first movie has any comedic elements or anything like that at all but I think this one definitely added that to it Mm. and um, it feels different but it doesn't feel too different you know Yeah. again it it even builds on the face huggers because there's a bit where they're stuck in a room with a load of them yeah Yeah. that's, that's another fantastic sequence everything from the fact that they actually make smart decisions. 
definitely. Like, which is so rare. You'd think it'd be almost common sense, but some for some reason, we have I admire it for actually being smart in the way <laughs> she activated the fire alarm to get their attention. Yeah. And even from that all the way to the way that Hicks just hurls himself through the window to get to them. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's the most action hero thing, the way he yeah. shoots the glass and <laughs> flings himself in. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that as well is also, that, um, it does that thing of like escalating the stakes and world building, but it doesn't lose the core elements of Ripley and her sort of, I think even in, I think in the second one, in the second movie, actually, she becomes more of a better character for me because she has that sort of mother arc sort of thing with the little yeah, girl. Yeah, she is. She yeah. is definitely. Definitely. Because she doesn't. And, one of the things I was going to say is that in Alien, mm-hmm. she doesn't really become the protagonist until about halfway in. Yeah, so she kind of comes that trope of the final girl against the, the villain, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say uh, another thing. I was going to say. Do you know about the trifecta? Uh, no. Bill Paxton. I, no, I don't know this. No. You don't know this, the trivia? No. So Bill Paxton is the only actor to have been killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. Oh. When was he in Predator? <laughs> he's in Predator 2. Oh, okay. He's see. on the subway. He's the guy with the hat. He, gets, he tries to defend the, I think there's a pregnant woman. Or there's a load of people on the train. They try to distract the predator while yeah. one of them escapes. And then he's in Terminator. He's one of the uh, punks at the beginning. Yeah, the one. The first, I think he's the first kill, wasn't he? <laughs> he is. Yes, he's, he's the first. He's the first. First one to get killed by a. What a career that man had, you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And also, and um, there's another man that people say also did the same. Mm-hmm. And that's is Lance Henriksen. Oh right. But he technically doesn't. Yeah. Because he's in he's Bishop. Ah uh, yeah. Now while he does get ripped in half by an alien, he doesn't die. He does survive. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So God. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And people who might want to know, um in Terminator he's one of the police officers at the police station. Yep. And <laughs> he is um He's in Alien vs. Predator. He's um, Wayland, I think. Ah, uh, oh, I didn't know that. He's one of the versions of Wayland, and he gets, he gets shanked by a Predator. Uh, I haven't seen any Predators meet past the, the first one. You're not? No. I think the second one's all right, but it's certainly not as good. There are good elements in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those sequels. <laughs> yeah, it's one of them sequels. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably a cult one. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Before we do, mm-hmm. Alien or Aliens? <laughs> okay. The 1979 original or the 1986 sequel? Uh, Which one? I mean, okay, I think for me it would be Aliens. Just because I feel like that's the movie where I, I connect with it more, definitely. It's because of the. I feel like we get like an actual main character throughout the entire story. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that Alien doesn't have good characters. It just has a group of characters that are there to be killed that I do like. I just don't think that they're. I don't connect with them at the same level as Ripley in the second one. Um, and yeah, I do feel like 
James Cameron, there's something about the way he directs action where I remember every moment from that film. And Aliens, I remember just a lot of dark corridors, you know. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I I completely agree. I would go Aliens. Yeah. Mainly because it's just a complete package for me. Yeah, definitely. It keeps the horror elements. Mm-hmm. It's completely true to that. Yeah. But like you said, it's the characters. Like you, all the Marines have different personalities, and you do get to you get to grow with them a bit more. Definitely, yeah. Whereas you don't necessarily. I think, like you said, the characters are good in Alien, and you <laughs> still care about them. Definitely. I feel like you have more of a connection in Aliens, partly yeah. because you also know what they're going into. Yeah, you feel like, I mean, you connect with Ripley more because you're with her and you know the situation more than anyone else around her. So when mm-hmm. she's annoyed at everyone else, you are annoyed with everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It also has a great third act, like, final battle, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it does. It's just, it, yeah, it's just queen. completely mental. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> also, another thing. When you watch this, which version did you watch? Oh, I um the longer cut. I don't know what it's called, but the, like the longer one. Yeah. I never, I never watched the shorter one. I've never watched the shorter one. Do mm. you? I, I I checked this out beforehand, but the stuff they left out seems crazy now. What was left out? So it starts with the the lesser stuff. Mm-hmm. Is the scenes on the colony before um, before they get overrun? Yeah. So you uh-huh. see. Yeah. You've seen you and her parents go to the ship. Yeah. That isn't in that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Right, okay. None of that. The turrets. Oh yeah. There's no reference to the turrets, nothing to do with the turrets. Oh. But the the two mad bits, right? <laughs> the first one. Uh the scene where Ripley says goodbye to Hicks. Yeah. They exchange first names. Oh. That isn't in the original. Okay. Which I find weird. That is like a... I feel that's a big moment, you know? It is. That's a, that's a massive moment. Because it's yeah. also where they sort of connect. There's a hint of a bit of a romantic... Yeah. Romantic thing. But also that, the biggest thing... Yeah. Theatrical version. Uh-huh. No reference to Ripley's daughter at all. Really? Not at all. So that entire character arc is completely different in a way, isn't it, then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no... The scene where she sat on the bench by the screen of the trees, mm-hmm. that isn't in. Wow. And the, and when she mentions a daughter to Newt, that's not in yeah. either. That is... That's weird. That is weird. It is. It's very weird. Because otherwise, it's just like... It's it's not like a bad arc, but I feel like her losing a daughter and then gaining one is a much stronger one than just she gains a daughter, kind of. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because at the end, you're left feeling they have a bit of a family now. Yeah. Like a new family of this, like, horrible time. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to say that, you know, they're going to be happy forever. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm ignoring what Alien 3 says in the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's me. I've, I've talked for a while about Aliens now. Yeah. Good movie, man. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Do you have another one? Uh, yeah. I'm going... For like a, a three and one, but because I think they're connected for a single like idea. Okay. Um, so I'm going for Ragnarok, Iron Man three, and Civil War together. Okay. 
because I feel like Marvel do this really good thing when they get to the third movie in their franchise, and it's it's a it's something that a lot of franchises fall down in because I feel like like Return of the Jedi uh, and maybe even Back to the Future they got like a third movie where it kind of feels that we're going from the motions and we're just getting to the end point. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the, the great things in those movies, it just feels like another we're going through it all. But I feel like Iron Man three, uh, Ragnarok, and Civil War they kind of fundamentally change the trilogy and go in a completely new direction in terms of like even like tone and like the way the characters are interacting so obviously with Ragnarok we get a, a Taika Waititi film <laughs> at the end of a Shakespearean duology we get a <laughs> and then Iron Man 3 we get we go from like the John Favreau kind of like punk rock vibe to like a, a Christmas Shane Black vibe <laughs> and then with Civil War even though it's a bit more streamlined I would say with Civil War from Winter Soldier to Civil War um there's definitely a change in the way that that movie feels. It doesn't feel like a Captain America movie. It definitely feels like an Avengers 2.5 sort of. But I don't think that Civil War at the same time loses being a Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, I do feel like Civil War is definitely a Captain America perspective for the most part movie. Yeah. Um, but I do, I really do respect, and I haven't, I heard Kevin Feige talk about it as he wanted whenever he went went to a third movie. He wanted it to be definitely different, so it would be not just the same thing or three times over, and then I'll be it. Um, yeah. And I, again, another link between the three movies is how that they lose a fundamental part of themselves in a very dramatic way. Yeah. So I think um, so. Yeah, four definitely goes through the, like the most change I would say, even though it's in the comedic film, because mm-hmm. you lose Hammer, which is pretty intrinsic to his character, and he loses Asgard. And these two things getting taken away from definitely, I mean, everyone talks about how Ragnarok, Ragnarok forward, four was a different character altogether. Um, not altogether, but like different tone, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then Captain America loses his shield because he can't change his allegiances to go government anymore. And he cares too much about Bucky and stuff like that. And then in Iron Man 3, he loses his arc reactor, he loses his home for one thing um, as well. And I feel like there's a, whilst I don't like love like all these films individually, or like I don't adore them. I do think that I am has a few problems here and there, uh, and Ragnarok I do think goes a bit too on the funny side for what it's dealing with. Um, but I do definitely like like them all and love Civil War, and mm. I do, I, yeah, I just respect those as third movies in the, in a trilogy. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they they they're really effective at turning the world. On, on the hero's head, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It flips everything for them, and it it also it probably for two of them it offers them. They're in they're in potentially one of their best places. Yeah. The Thor and Iron Man, you think they're probably in some of their best places, like they've overcome something big. Yeah, definitely. Whereas the Civil War is slightly different because it's building up to the big. Big finale more. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, he has gained something as well because he's gained his best friend back. Definitely, yeah. And so, uh, I just, I, it's weird because Marvel have definitely done something different with their trilogies because I, because de- you always feel like the second movie is always, not always, but it's usually in a trilogy the strongest in some cases because mm-hmm. it's the the deepest one. It's the darkest usually. It's 
the most character arc, like a character study moment of the series. And I feel like Iron Man 2 and 4 2 are <laughs> like kind of the weakest ones in not just the trilogies, but in the whole universe, cinema universe. Mm. And it's 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 definitely interesting to see them flip the second movie being the darkest to the third movie in a way. Yeah. Um and I feel like it, it's ended or even if you don't agree with all the choices, I feel like you can't deny that they've ended each trilogy with a strong a strong finish each time. No, they have, definitely. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Yeah, I was gonna say as well, um yeah. I'd yeah, I'd have anything to add really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're just fantastic and ways to end trilogy and to seal it off. Yeah. While also keeping the characters around. Oh yeah, definitely. Can't kill them. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to move on? Mm-hmm. Can do. Okay. Well, I got. There are a few here that I've got which I think I'm going to mention, so I'm going to leave them. Okay. <laughs> One in particular. I'll tell you if you say it. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for Hellboy Two. Oh, that was on my list as well. Is it? Yeah. It's the, Hell- the Golden Army. The- yeah. 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 Um on a side note, I've always liked these films, I've always really liked them. Yeah. However, my appreciation for them has been boosted slightly <laughs> by um the reboot. Yeah. And <laughs> God. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. You mentioned that movie each time though, you know. <laughs> I know. Wait, have we? Did we mention last week as well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, yeah. you know. Welcome to my head. Yeah. <laughs> Bad movie, so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Hellboy 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's weird. It's a weird sequel. It is. Yeah. Because it's not as about Hellboy maybe as the first one is. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's, I think, a lot more care probably taken with the villain. Definitely, yeah. The villain is it's an excellent character. I think it's probably the best of the two films. Oh, yeah, def- isn't the easily much stronger than the first film, villain. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just I think the main appeal probably of these these two films mm-hmm. is a mix of Guillermo del Toro style. Definitely, yeah. His 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 tendency to go practical. Yep. Which is. Generally, generally is a thumbs up from most people. Definitely, yeah. And also the tendency to be weird, but not too weird. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like, yeah, because for me, a standout sort of moment in that film was when um, Hellboy and I think it's Abe, Abraham, the, the fish. Mon- Abe the Sapien. Abe Sapien, okay, there we go. Abe. I think, um, I think that's the simple name. Uh, yeah, but they're they're having like a sing song on when they're drunk together. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a stand up moment of just I wouldn't even go far as say weird. I would just say like sincere sort of just yeah, we have Ron Perlman and Doug Jones and heavy makeup and uh, one's a devil and one's a fish. And you know what? They're gonna get drunk and they're gonna have a sing song because they're also people, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. And it's just, I do feel like those two movies, especially the second one, are just, I feel like they've got a lot of that heart in them. And it's sort of like a, a comic booky that, a comic book vibe that we sometimes don't get that often anymore. That I do feel like the early, like the early 2000s, I think had the most 
comic booky movie. It doesn't mean that doesn't mean like they're automatically the best. I just mean that like the Sam Raimi, even like Sam Raimi movies, the the Hulk movie, even to a certain extent, the Daredevil movie, they all have like a very a weird like comic booky feel. Yeah, they, they had like a similar aesthetic as well, didn't they? Yeah, they all did. Yeah, um, they all have that like. I don't know what it is, but I do feel like there's definitely some. Whenever there's a movie in that era that was actually like really good, they do stand out a lot more than some of the ones we get now because of this, they're so like in like the heartfelt, sincere, bright colors. Like they're just in it, you know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the what what makes those two films and also the sequel work because I think the sequel perhaps carries it a bit more. Is mm-hmm. the core cast. Yeah. I think Ron Perlman's excellent. Definitely. Doug Jones is excellent. But also Selma Blair. Mm, yeah. Is one that perhaps doesn't get mentioned as much as, as she ought to. Mm-hmm, definitely. She's she's great in both these films. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, cause I feel like the first one is a bit, like, weighed down by the need for, like, a point-of-view character in that, that agent guy. Yeah. That guy that comes in and he has no idea what the world is, so there he gets he gets it explained to him. Therefore, the audience gets it explained to them. But I feel like it becomes a bit of a problem for the movie, the first one, that because you very rarely feel like you're getting to be with Hellboy and just Hellboy. It's always looking at Hellboy through the lens of a human being. Mm. Um, but the second movie just goes, ah, what well, is Hellboy? <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, and I think to some degree more. You probably more see him through. Um, I've forgotten some of those characters' names. Um, I'm gonna have to find this thing. I have to search it up. It's <laughs> very unprofessional. Yes, it's alright. Oh dear. Yeah, it's lockdown, isn't it? It is lockdown. Exactly. We've got our... just you. Yeah. Because we were so professional before. Definitely, yeah. We knew order. Uh, Liz. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Liz Sherman. You sort of see him a little bit through her eyes. Yeah, okay. Particularly yeah. when he gets injured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it's true. It's a bit with the, the dagger, the blade thing. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever get the third one? <laughs> I don't think we ever will now, I don't yeah. think. It's annoying as well because it ends ends on a somewhat cliffhanger of um, Liv, Liz, did you say? Liz. Liz. Yeah, saying that to bring him back, um, the world will end or something like that. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, um, so definitely a big cliffhanger to leave it on. But uh, <laughs> I'd have liked to have seen the third one, but I think that uh, Del Toro is probably past, not as in not as in past it as in he's no longer good. I mean, mm-hmm. he's probably beyond it. Yeah, he's probably lost it, mourned for it, and moved on. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm, I'm. I'm not insulting. I'm not saying that because probably he's probably his peak still. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean it as in like in terms of his state of mind probably. Probably. And also Hellboy 2 we get a lot more just like weird monster world building that feels so del Toro in the sense that you feel like everything has like a logical meaning and like sense to it. Yeah, something everything's symbolic or something. Yeah. Yeah. And this it's just like a a great looking movie, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's stunning. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Yeah, go ahead. Have you got another one? So, I want to talk about a bit about J.J. Um, Abrams and his, like, sequel sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm going to go, like, through all of his in, in a sense of, like, so, like, the second Star Trek, 
um, and you know episode seven, episode nine, and kind of like this. I want to have like a discussion about the way he makes films in general, mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I was watching the second Star Trek movie, and I think um, with Star Trek like fans that love everything about Star Trek, it's regarded as a, a terrible, horrible movie. <laughs> Um, because I think, because obviously it's a, it's kind of a remake of the second Star Trek movie with, um, Leonard Nimoy and, um, it's kind of like a, the Khan character comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Rafa Khan, but it is Rafa Khan. Yeah, exactly. It's that sort of thing. But before I watched Star Trek, the second one with him, JJ, Abrams directing, I watched Star Trek Beyond, um, a movie made by Justin Lin, a uh, Fast and Furious director. And, um, I wasn't, I enjoyed the beyond the justin lynn movie i enjoyed it it was just felt a bit lifeless compared to the previous two and when i was watching the second one from like five seconds into the movie i could feel energy i could feel that jj abrams like spark that only he can really do like i've seen yeah uh, and i just felt like even though i have nitpicky sort of flaws with that movie of I mean, spoilers for the second, the second one, Kirk dies, and then like 10, mi- 10 minutes later, it comes back to life. And it's very off-screen, sort of, oh, he's fine now. And again, the Khan reveal of him, the villain being Khan, is just, it's meaningless, because it, it has no context in that movie. It's just for fans that want to see Khan again, but even then, they didn't like it, because it's not Khan, it's the name Khan, really. <laughs> Um, but it's it's definitely a flawed movie because I love the first he, the first Star Trek Star Trek that he made J.J. Abrams, but it's definitely the second one's definitely flawed. But it's like that thing I was saying last week I think of Michael Bay of Bumblebee is a great the first good like um, Transformers movie, but you lose that Michael Bay like weird energy <laughs> you know. But I feel like with J.J. Abrams you lose not only the energy of a J.J. Abrams film and the blocking and all that it's also like this. He, I think he understood the characters a lot more than anyone anyone realized at that time, and um, and again with episode seven, episode nine, episode seven, I think it's a per, almost like perfect job of getting the world back on its feet and it just flawless and setting up the setting up potential threads for the future. Because yeah. so he's famously like everyone always makes the comment that he's great at rebooting and reintroducing a franchise and starting it up again, but he's not so good at continuing it. And whilst I do half-heartedly agree with that, it's it's still I just love. I think he's like a flawed genius in a way, you know, because um, I feel like Episode Nine has that J.J. Abrams problem of he's he's going too fast. He yeah. loves the camera's always moving, moments are just whizzing by, and sometimes you know a character dies and then ten minutes later they're back to life, and you don't know what happened because it was so fast, you know. Um, but I do feel like I feel like. Episode seven and the first Star Trek are amazing. I think like he's on all cylinders, like ten out of ten. And I feel like with the sequels, he his problems start arising, but I don't think that heart and that understanding of the characters ever gets lost because I feel like the moments are definitely there, and the they're all, in my opinion, great, fantastic moments. It's the fact that he just wants to go through it all really fast. Mm. That gets to be the problem. But yeah, I feel like we talked about this over messaging. Yeah, because um, I think we both find that in the third act of Rise of Skywalker, 
he slows down a bit and it becomes like an, a god tier, like <laughs> amazing third act, really. Yeah, it's god tier falls. The final act of Rise of Skywalker is phenomenal. It's just the build up to it is too fast. Too fast. I yeah. feel like it should have been slower and there should have been more of a sense that they're building up to something that is final. Yeah, definitely. But like even then, I think you would you would agree that majority of stuff in those Rise of Skywalker is stuff that you like. It's all yeah, yeah. It's all good, and it's all like it's definitely like not a. It's like a. It's not like they've wrote a bad script and then just filmed it badly. It's like a great script, may, or maybe like not even, but like he still he can he elevates a lot of the material by just having that J.J. Abrams. So he knows when he does because he does know when to put the camera down, but and like just let the let the scene develop itself but sometimes he just goes like boom 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 you know yes yeah, there's an energy to it it's sort of like um yeah you do sort of feel like it's a bit like a, a kid yeah yeah a little bit but yeah. then the adult takes over again definitely yeah it's i just love him and i feel like he i feel like he's growing with each movie in a sense and mm. uh but again he's like when he when it works it it works better than most movies like blockbuster movies yeah it does definitely definitely yeah and i also think that one of the one of the common sort of dark side of the internet comments mm-hmm. about it is that um jj doesn't understand star wars or doesn't understand star trek i mean mm-hmm. it's a criticism that's it's very generic criticism it's leveled at it's leveled at ryan johnson it's leveled at kathleen kennedy yep leveled all of them and it's completely unjust completely yeah and in jj abrams case of force awakens the perfect counter argument lies in the fact that he can't um do a do that film and do it like he has without understanding star wars oh definitely not no like even 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 if people say even if you're at the ex- extreme end of the spectrum and you say that it's a copy of A New Hope, yeah. in order for it to be a copy of A New Hope, <laughs> he has to understand Star Wars. And it's not... like Honestly, the first time I watched New Hope, uh, not um, Force Awakens, I only at the end of the Star Destroyer sort of planet-destroying plant weapon did I think, oh, this is episode four again. So the only real point I thought that, I think because J.J. Abrams... Yes, he loves the old films and he loves having the same sort of structure, but he imbues it with the same, not the same, but like in the similar style of heart and love. Because like Ray, Ray's introduction is a five minute long, no dialogue sequence of her life. And it's it's all got that heart of like just loving these characters in this universe and at the same time loving the universe, which by and by creates a similar structure because he loves it so much, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, if anything, the problem is that he loves it so much. <laughs> really. Yeah, exactly. Any yeah. criticism that he doesn't know it or any of the others don't know it is just complete rubbish. It, it kind of is, yeah. And I think, like, he's just... He's, just, he's always interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's not... There's never a dull moment. Yeah. And again, like, I think I was saying, yeah, last week, um, it's one of those things where he's not... If you call him a bad director, it's sort of like, well, you're saying that because you know what he's doing. In a way that with other bad directors that you don't know even the name of, they don't do anything that's recognisable. Mm. If you don't like JJ Abrams movies, fair enough. You don't have to like him. I'm just saying that he's got a unique eye for like all these sort of things, and 
he's definitely a unique director who can do a lot of great stuff when he's given a good structure to go off, you know? Yeah, there is. There's always, you can always tell, there's always that level of, of enthusiasm mm-hmm. and energy. Oh, he of loves course. <laughs> Yeah. That's all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's go for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, okay, okay. I think that Last Crusade is, at the very least, as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. I agree, I agree. If not, slightly better. Yes, I would but say... Any, any reason for it to be slightly better would be because of Raiders of the Lost Ark, so you have a little bit of a paradox there. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's probably the best one, just for me, yeah. Mm. Definitely. I, yeah, I just think because... You see, in the his interactions with his father, like you see the character develop much more. Oh yeah, because you see, you see more layers. You know, mm-hmm. it's like an onion. <laughs> yes. You yeah. see, you just you see more layers of him. You see him, you almost sort of see him unravel. Yeah. And, and then... in the finale, you also you sort of see, like we said before, it's about the greatest stakes. Mm-hmm. And throughout all of all of the Indiana Jones films, mm-hmm. the stakes have almost always been we've got to get the artifact. Yeah, definitely. We've got to save it. Yeah. But the end of Last Crusade isn't about the artifact. He's going after the artifact because he wants to save his dad. Yeah. It has a better theme behind it, really. Yeah. It has a higher stake than any of the any of the other stakes in the previous two films mm-hmm. um and he, he has that definite arc of recognizing his his dad and recognizing just who he is really I suppose. yeah yeah because i feel like it feels always like interesting to pour calls into like classic movies of um because like raiders and temple of doom are all-time great movies and i definitely agree with that but i do feel it's interesting looking back at it when you watch last crusade and realizing that Indiana Jones as, as a character and his beliefs and his like his wants and desires and his his like flaws, they barely I if ever get compromised at all in those first two movies at all. Because mm. um his his relationship with Marion in the first movie is it doesn't it is definitely a it's a great it's a great like back and forth great like relationship, but I don't think it ever highlights a flaw in Indiana Jones really. And I don't feel like when he gets when he gets the Ark of the Covenant that it's a completion of a of a higher character arc for him. Mm. Um, Temple of Doom, I feel, is again sort of just get the artifact and win over the girl sort of plot again. Mm. <laughs> if, if anything, I'd probably be more most critical of Temple of Doom. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Mainly because it just, I think that I still like it, of course, because it's Indiana Jones. Yeah. And again, there's not that fun. There's that fun adventure to it. Yeah. Spielberg, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't really he's just there. Yeah. And doing his thing. Yeah. And it's Harrison Ford that's giving it that like level of character really. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Never underestimate Harrison Ford. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> well like in like the last crusade, I do feel like from the beginning, even as a kid, I knew I like I I like this one more because I could feel like this is the first time I thought he was a character, like a, a person, if anything. 
Mm. Uh, and I do feel like he's going after this artifact, but because it, it's because of the, the like his father, and it's it's it ends with him not. It ends with him literally saying to the artifact, "I don't want you anymore. I want to save my dad." <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's then riding off in the sunset, and it's a it's a great humanizing moment that ends the series on a on a, like I would say a great a great note. You know. It does. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And then there's the fourth movie. <laughs> and moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you got another one? Um. Uh. Right. I think. I want to talk about, uh, right. So I'm, I'm going to go for a controversial thing here, maybe. Um, it's okay, okay. <laughs> Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, <laughs> right? Um, I don't think these right. are good. I don't think these are good movies. Don't get me wrong. Um, I I like the first Batman movie with Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like as a as a movie about Batman, it's not good. <laughs> it's it's a Batman who who like he you know nothing about him aside from he's very strange, and then it's treated like a plot. It's like it's treated like a plot um, twist when it gets revealed that his parents were killed in the third act, and it's like a I don't feel like it's a good introduction to Batman as a character, but I do feel like it's a good it's a very good world to be in, and I do feel it's very Tim Burton-y, and I do like. The aesthetic of it and the sound of it more than like the actual characters of it. But yes, Batman, Tim Burton world. Yeah, definitely. And he Batman Returns, too. He did, yeah, yeah. Um, Batman Returns is one that I I love because it's so Tim Burton <laughs> to the point where the flaws of the first movie are still they're still there. As in Batman isn't really a character and everyone's just like a psychopath and there's no real character arcs. But I just love the second one so much because it's so. It's such like a, a weird, weird movie about trauma and not getting past it to the point of just becoming a person who is a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it looks so good as well. Like, everything looks so great. And it sounds, it like Danny Elfman does the music again. And it's so great. And I feel like it's, it's odd because the third and fourth movie, the Batman and Robin and, and Batman Forever, I do not like them, <laughs> but... But I do, I do always enjoy watching them a lot because they're so, so weird in the complete, a complete, um, a completely different way from the first two in the sense that they are, they pay more attention to Batman as a character. Like we get in the third one, we get into his parents' death much more, and his relationship is like a him trying to get past that trauma. Um, and in the fourth one. There is that sort of character between Batman and Robin of them becoming allies and not getting these differences get between in between them. It's just the lens that the that those ideas get put through is so neon, crazy. I don't even know what it, how to describe it really. <laughs> but like it's I never I can never take my eyes off them as sequels that to me make no sense at all and are made to make toys and. <laughs> uh, and I just feel like they're fascinating to watch in in a very '90s toy making franchise billion dollar thing, you know. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's um, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger banging out ice puns. Yeah, like I don't know what they were thinking, but they've definitely filmed it and thought, okay, we're doing this now, <laughs> you know. 
What do you think about those movies? Um, I have no real recollection at all of mm. Michael Keaton Batman. Really? Oh, okay. I must have seen them. I'm sure I have. Yeah. But I, I have very little recollection of them. I have to watch them again. Mm. I also have very little... I don't have that much a recollection of uh, Batman Begins either. Oh, really? Um, but I've definitely seen that one. Yeah. Um, and I remember as a kid, I used to... I used to simultaneously hate and love George Clooney one. Is that Batman Forever? That one is Batman Robin, George Clooney. Batman Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to simultaneously hate and love it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I used to love because it's so colourful and it was energetic. This mm-hmm. this isn't as somebody who's studied film for several years. Yeah, this is just It's just as like a little kid. Yeah. But at the same time I also hated I hated Robin. <laughs> like I really hated Robin. Yeah. <laughs> um and that one was fine. Mm-hmm. Which one is Batgirl in that one as well? Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in that movie. Yeah, as a kid, also hated Batgirl. Really? Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, I used to, I watched it several times as a kid. I don't understand why. I did as well. I definitely did as well. I think it was just the color, color of it. Yeah. And the energy of it. Yeah. And, so- yeah, and Batman Forever is. Val um, Kilmer. Val Kilmer, and it's Tommy Lee Jones and... Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah, Two-Faced yeah. Riddler. Yeah. Which, him as the Riddler, mm-hmm. very good <laughs> casting, <laughs> in theory. It, yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, there's a scene in that in the third movie where the, Jim Carrey puts on, like, a big helmet thing, like a mind... I don't know what it's called, a mind-control helmet thing. Mm-hmm. And he starts doing, for I think for a minute straight, like a little dance to like a piano music but like there's no context at all there's no reason for it it's just jim carrey just dancing for a minute straight and it's it's again like i can't like oh i think gotham the way it's designed is such a great example of why i kind of like these movies because compare it to um, the dark knight or batman superman or even like i don't know like many cartoons even from like past that point it was Always like a, a normal Chicago like city. But I feel like in Batman Robin, Batman Forever and Batman and Batman Returns, um, that city is very it's so weird. And like the first two are very gothic and dark colours and like brooding skies and <laughs> snow covered like alleyways. But the third and fourth one are just like there's like and so many like shirtless, like six pack men holding up buildings around and like this so i couldn't even describe what the city how is the city even made i don't even know because like there's like a i never once there's like a, a motorway that goes around a building like an entire building it goes around and then it loops downwards and then all of a sudden you're like under like you're under the ground and then all of a sudden you're like up against like another big statue in the sky. I never that street so well because I was thinking like someone had a lot of fun making this because like <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. But it's definitely a treat to watch in a way <laughs> of just like just weirdness, you know, <laughs> that we don't really get anymore with comic movies in a way. No, we don't. We don't get that sort of 
ridiculed level of absurdity. No. And every now and then we need a bit of absurdity. Yeah, because at the moment, a lot of comic book movies are just like, oh, we're in New York, and (laughs) even in, like, Metropolis or Gotham, we're in New York or Chicago. It's no longer, like, a weird comic book city anymore. It's just a city, (laughs) you know? Mm. I think that's something that any Batman film or any uh, film related to Batman and his characters will perhaps have that little bit that other mm-hmm. other comics don't. Yeah, definitely. They have... I I feel like Metropolis isn't particularly iconic from what we've seen of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gotham... If you were shown a comic book city, mm-hmm. most people would probably imagine Gotham. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I do, definitely. <laughs> yeah, just the... And like even even Joker recently. Yeah. The way that Gotham Gotham's presented in that is is excellent. Yeah. Okay. Always Gotham always feels almost like a character on its own. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely do feel like as we've gotten a bit more mature with comic book movies and making them more character focused than spectacle focused, which are because I feel like that's the way to describe those first four Batman movies. They're very spectacle focused movies mm-hmm. of just explosions batman does a front flip over a big thing and stuff like that um but yeah i just feel like we've lost a bit of that like weird flair of like just go like give the design department free reign off like whatever they want to do yeah. <laughs> which don't really get anymore yeah mm. sorry we've got to say about that i just like love the idea of how weird it is <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't yeah <laughs> What's yours? Uh, um, let's go for both sequels to, well, both of the modern sequels of, I don't even know, I can't remember the names. <laughs> I always get them mixed up. The ones I'm talking about are Dawn and War of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. does that mean the first one's called Rise? Y- yes, is I think so. Is the first one Rise? The first one is rise and then dawn and then war i think yeah so okay. so dawn and war the ones i'm talking about yeah planet of the apes yeah there you go dawn mm-hmm. of the planet of the apes war for the planet of the apes yeah i think they're both infinitely well not infinitely they're both drastically better than the first one for me i would agree yeah like not not that the first one's bad it's good it's very it's because is, is it sort of a prequel yeah. Prequel like slash a... sequel to the original versions. Yeah. And it just it's it's good and I think um it's very unusual how each of them has a different sort of main human. It does, yeah. They sort of change perspective on each movie, don't they? Yeah, they do, while also sort of keeping keeping Caesar until Caesar yeah. sort of becomes the main Yeah. Equivalent of the human for war. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And they're all very... They're very dark, but very real. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's like it, a, it's a striking blend between realistic but stylized. Yeah, it's anyway. hard that I, I think of those, especially the second, the second and the third movie, as like almost like realistic... War films in a way, yeah. 
considering it's apes versus humans but i do feel like again with the sequel idea of like what is a good sequel and i feel like this is a, an example of like a genre in the same sort of principle idea of apes take over human world but they change the genre from one of sci-fi sci-fi like horror to a sci-fi character study like a drama mm. in a way because the first movie even though i would say i would agree it's the weakest it's it's a character it's like a character really of like just that this ape <laughs> that's learning how to be human and the humans that are dealing with that and then it continues onwards to the point of just it, this is like more character study of human human nature and a more simplified simplified version of that with the apes that are proves to be better overall and it's weird to say that about a franchise about planet of the apes <laughs> it is yeah it's also a very yeah. weird progression because the yeah. first one it almost feels like it can stand on its own yeah it and it's very in its own in that it's a sci-fi film set in present day mm-hmm. but then to sort of carry that over into into dawn and war mm-hmm. which are in, in genre terms and in tone, theme, almost everything, mm. they are completely different. Yeah, definitely. Because there's guns, there's a post-apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like quite a sudden and quite drastic leap. Yeah. While what? also being, while also they absolutely nail it. Oh yeah, definitely. It doesn't feel jarring. It almost does feel like a natural progression. Yeah, and it's again with like those movies. I look at those movies and I, I don't think a lot. I don't think of like them as blockbusters or anything like that because like the I think the second and the third movie are Matt Reeves movies. I think. Yeah. And he's um, he's definitely a more I don't know. It's kind of an artsy term, like an auteur director in a way. Mm. And it's weird that. The, the the second the second two in particular were very much Oscar contenders in a way. Yeah, they are because they're very thematically heavy as well. Yeah, and it's a great looking like they're both very good looking movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just and again with like the idea of a sequel being a genre shift or like making the same movie but in a different way and it can completely change how you look at it. Um, that was that there's a remake before this trilogy of the planet of the apes by tim burton with mark Wahlberg, and that that movie is the same movie again as, as the original but it it's like reskinned with uh different actors and different sets and like to put it the point even more clearly the movie ends with the same twist of this planet is actually earth with a statue instead of being a statue of liberty like it is in the, in the original it's a statue of abraham lincoln sitting down but with an ape face <laughs> That is bizarre, isn't it? It I is. It's it. always confused me. Really, it makes no sense, really, because now in this world, Abraham Lincoln existed, but he was an ape. What? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's just the same movie again, but reskinned, and it's it's just heartless in a way to make that movie because it's just a it's just for money and name recognition. But to say to yourself that we're going to make a Planet of the Apes sequel that's also going to explain the world, but not be a human perspective uh, an actual ape perspective and you mm. are inside of the apes is a great idea and it's handled really well for free film straight it is and it's yeah. also remarkable how they managed to keep momentum despite having quite quite large time gaps between them yeah there's like a there's always like a big change before each movie that 
changes the genre in a way almost mm, yeah because yeah. I, I i would say the first one is more sci-fi than the next two and the second one is very much the most drama character based one and mm. the third one becomes like a, an actual like realistic war film in a way yeah, it does. it's it's so strange but i just love that that though that trilogy just happened out of nowhere <laughs> it does yeah it's, it's... It's weird that it exists, but it's also very good that it exists. Oh, it definitely, yeah. yeah. Do you want to move on to bad sequels? I haven't got that many bad sequels. I feel like I... I know, I don't, actually. I've got you, a few. You, you go with the bad ones. Go on, hit me with them. Um, I'm going to go for uh, one that I don't think we talked about yet, but um, I feel like this is a version of, like, an, uh, an example of getting the original idea completely wrong in all ways possible. Um, I feel like Terminator Genesis, <laughs> with a Y. Oh, it, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It loses that edge to it of, like, a, mm-hmm. the first two movies that are regarded as the classics that they deserve to be yeah. are regarded as kind of like a hybrid of a sci-fi slasher horror movie yeah. that becomes more action-oriented in the, sec- in the second one. Um, hey, James Cameron again. Yeah, Working yeah, because he does again. He's same the same thing with Alien compared to Aliens, mm-hmm. Terminator One and then Terminator Two. Terminator Two has the same simple idea of time traveling robot comes back in time to kill a, a future leader of the resistance. Yeah. And the way those two movies handle that idea is very different. In the first movie, it's a romantic movie of Carl Reese and um, uh, Sarah Connor, and in the second one, it's very much a, a family. A family, a, a family origin story in a way of the Terminator, Sarah Connor, and John Connor, yeah. and so it handles the same principle, same idea on, in two different ways and two different genres. And then Terminator Genesis is like it's so weird because it it's such a mess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I mean, it goes because like it's like it heard that. Terminator is about time travel, and then went to town on te- like time travel for some reason, because like it starts very messy from memory. It's like it's very just like oh, in this time period this happened, but then we changed that, and then this time period happened, and then this time period happened, and it's just like where, how did you lose the essence of this franchise? <laughs> how <laughs> this hard? Um, and that's not to say you can change the genre. Like I said, you can change the genre, but I feel like. This one does it in the worst way possible of just going over the top with one very small element to the story. Because mm. time travel is just a framework for the action slasher sci-fi horror film to work in. And I feel like they said, oh, the framework, let's just go with that and that's it. Yeah. And it, It's just so weird to me. And it's, it's, it's a very lifeless movie as well, you know? I feel like it completely misses the whole part of Sarah Connor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not 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 to be, not to be too critical here, but I feel like while Amelia Clark is a very talented actress, mm-hmm. and she's in various things where she is very good. Yeah, I do feel like they got the casting a bit wrong. I I agree with that completely. Yes, and as well thematically with the character as it was written, mm-hmm. you miss both key parts of because so, there's sort of there's two versions of Sarah Connor, isn't there? Mm-hmm. As in Linda Hamilton's version. There's the one from Terminator, who is the essentially a normal person. Yeah, the everyday girl in a way. Yeah, 
and then she becomes a super trained, slightly <laughs> mad super soldier. Yeah. Basically. In the second one. In the second one. But that progression, it's substantiated, it's solid, and it's interesting to watch. Yeah. Like you follow that. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have this Sarah Connor in Genesis who is immediately supposed to be this badass with all the guns and mm. all the knowledge. Yeah. Without having the bit where she's vulnerable beforehand. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And also I just feel like with um and again it feels like with this attacking Amelia Clark, again, I feel this is very good. I just feel like she's just a bit miscast in this role. Mm. Of, um, I just feel like she doesn't have that same, that same like heaviness as Sarah as um, Linda Hamilton had. Well, like if ha- Linda Hamilton screams at a character, get in the car, you'd believe it. <laughs> you were like scared. Um, but if Amelia Clark says it, it just feels a bit like oh, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? she's perhaps a little too young in a way. Yeah, maybe. Part yeah. of Linda Hamilton, um, Linda Hamilton's version of Sarah Connor in Terminator Two, is that she's not old, no, by any means, mm. but she has that sort of hardened look. Yeah, definitely. she looks hard, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And then, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't mess with her. Put it that yeah. way. And again, with like, it's a weird sequel as well because I just said that it. It uses the framework of time travel to make a new film. Mm-hmm. But even though I don't think it does that in a good way, it also copies, copies the first two films, or the second one at least, again, yeah. as in as a, as a new Terminator, and it's just trying to chase a person. And at the end, the the the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character sacrifices himself to destroy it. So you're going too far one way with the time travel, and at the same time going too far the other way with the staying the same to the other two movies. Mm. And it just feels like a why? Like, why are we doing this? It feels pointless overall. One of the, the interesting things to talk about the way that James Cameron has handled sort of sequels, mm-hmm. particularly sort of Terminator 2 and Aliens. Yeah. He introduces like a, almost like a simple twist that changes a lot of it. Yeah. Like he both changes the genre mm-hmm. in both Terminator to T2 and yeah. Alien to Aliens, while also substantiating that and putting it with a slight change or slight flip on the rules, in a way. Yeah, definitely. Like in, in Terminator, the, the, the flip is that he's now being protected by the same model of Terminator that tried to kill his mother. Yeah. In Aliens, it's a, there's more of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and the, one of the... What applies to both Terminator 2 and Aliens is that they both make it incredibly hard to have a sequel. They do, yeah. Because it, at the end of both of them, like both of them, both of the sequels, they raise the stakes from the previous film. Mm-hmm. But they raise them to the point where you can't really raise them again. Yeah, because in in aliens, there's they get they go to the planet, are surrounded mm. by a load of them, but at the end of it, they destroy the whole facility. Yeah, and they kill the queen. Yeah, and it's over. <laughs> yeah, and there's no, 
the aliens are yeah, the aliens are dead. Yeah. In Terminator, like I'm sure you're about to say, <laughs> yeah. They stop the whole thing. Cyber, is it Cyberdyne? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They stop the whole thing. They stop the apocalypse from happening. Yeah, yeah. Which does sort of it leads you in a weird position mm-hmm. because the story sort of ended. Mm-hmm. Yet it feels wrong to end it with two. Like it seems yeah. like it's almost the subconscious, un- maybe sub- maybe not subconscious, maybe very much realised mm-hmm. that there's always seems to be an obsession with there being a sequel. You can't have a complete story without there being three. There has to be yeah. a complete sequel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you're left with maybe the desire for a third one, mm-hmm. but. It's pretty much done after two. Yeah, and I feel like that's a problem. The Alien Three, Alien Four, Terminator Three, Four, Five, Six all had of like you're watching this film where in the previous one you've stopped the entire the entire point of the first and second film happening altogether, and then so when you come back to the third movie and the fourth movie, the fifth, you feel like you're just going through the same thing over and over again, mm. and feeling like there's no end to it. Because I even though I did somewhat enjoy Dark Fate, the term, like the sixth Terminator movie. Yeah. Um, it's still got that feeling of, oh, we're just saving the world again from the same threat and we're just kind of doing it again because mm. it's a franchise and we need to have some more of it, you know? Um, yeah, I think Dark Fate is the best Terminator 3. Yes, I would, I would agree. Yeah. But the, the problem isn't with the films, it's with the fact that there is a 3. <laughs> because they just sort of turn up and like... Oh yeah. yeah, you did stop it, but it happened again. Yeah, and that yeah. not only is that sort of dismissive, it also it feels like it sort of invalidates the weight of that previous one. Yeah, to the point where sequels are made after the third, like because after Terminator Three, I think every sequel after that they said that the third one doesn't count because mm. it won't start again, and it's because. You get that feeling each time that you're just going, you're just doing it over and over again. Mm. And it's yeah, Terminator is like a fascinating case because it just sort of snowballed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because did. they 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 made the they made uh, Rise of the Machines and it had the problem of trying to reset it, mm-hmm. but it didn't quite work. Yeah. And then they felt like they had to cover it up. Yeah. And then they felt like they had to cover it up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when it got to the point where it's just. Bit of a mess. It it really is, yeah. And uh, it's it it's like a I respect James Cameron a lot with this making a sequel and saying I'm going to go all out. This is going to be the end of the whole thing. I'm not mm. making a third one. And if they do make a third one, why? <laughs> because, yeah, because you should. If if you're in that position, you should throw everything at it. So yeah, put your heart and soul into it. And if you want to put that into it, do it if you want to. And uh, it does. It's just like a, it put it puts the future of the franchise in a little box where they can't make anything particularly new in terms of stakes, and I feel like because Hollywood exists as a fran- as like a studio that you know wants to make money, of course they're going to make more because that's a recognizable name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're still in that little box because they're not a part of like a a trilogy, for example, has like a three act structure almost in every good one at least, yeah. where it sets with the characters in the first one. Second movie, they've got the same the, that second act sort of character going through the the more like going through every character sort of more, and the third act has like that 
everything comes together in a big, conclusive, um, impactful way. Yeah. And then Terminator, you got you get a sequel where he's just going for it in this one movie, and that's it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I feel like James Cameron is sort of odd in that he's one of the most sellable directors. Mm-hmm. Like you, you would think with his name and the films he's made, he'd be perhaps the most appealing to studios and he'd fit best with the studio's idea of sequels yeah. and that scale. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he's probably <laughs> the in terms of building a franchise and having the worst not sorry, in terms of having a, building a franchise and being able to carry on He's probably not the best choice because I feel like he's not, he doesn't think about the franchise until maybe now when we've got, he's doing all the Avatar films. Yeah, I was going to mention that. <laughs> Avatar's, it's sort of the first time where he, he is consciously working to build a franchise. Yeah. Because they're always the ones, they always just feel like he's making the best film he can yeah. with that concept. And then yeah. when it comes to making the sequel, he's making it because he feels like there's a story to be told there. Mm-hmm. And he's got a concept, and he's just going to make that the best film he can and then not think about it afterwards. Yeah, definitely. But then um, with Avatar, it's just odd because I don't... I, I, I'm going to trust him, obviously, because he's, he's James Cameron. <laughs> mm. But um, I can't wait to see what he does with having five movies planned <laughs> yeah and i just i'm like very excited for it even though i don't know what's coming at all <laughs> you know yeah. i feel like it's very tempting to say oh they're gonna be bad but i always oh. just keep thinking at the back of my mind never write james cameron off oh definitely never. never no <laughs> yeah everyone when the first trailer for avatar came out said it was going to be the like not terrible but like not going to be worth the amount of money that's put into it and then Avatar happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> it is. It's just one of them one of them that feel like the odds are quite occasionally against him. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't bother him. Yeah. He does <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move on to something else? Uh we can do. We've quite we've got quite a long episode so far. Oh yeah we have. <laughs> Well, I got. I feel like I got one more point to make. Where I feel like I put, I've, like I found sequels where I feel like everything got put into one. <laughs> you know. Well, then we'll do this, then we'll end it. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about the the trilogy sort of thing of like the three act structure in a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about two controversial, well, I guess four controversial sequels that are regarded as not as good, but in my opinion, are kind of. I, in some of them, I think they're better, but also I think overall it's impressive on what they try to do, and my, in some of them, it like actually achieved that. So I want to talk about um, the Matrix two and three, and Pirates Caribbean two and three, okay. which we have mentioned. But I want to talk about how, in terms of like again with genre and three act trilogies, I feel like they do the same. Thing. So they tell this three act structure in the trilogy, but I would say, especially in Pirates Caribbean, they change the genre halfway through the series to like an epic Lord of the Rings style. Um, I don't even want to call it like a, a like a I don't know like a, it's just like I would say that Pirates Caribbean one and halfway through two it's kind of like a, an adventure Indiana Jones style movie mm-hmm. and something happens where they decide just to go go big go go home <laughs> and <just make laughs> a, a Ben Hur launch launch of Arabia 
um, Lord of the Rings sort of epic <laughs> and just went for it. And again, with uh, Matrix 2 and 3, I feel like there's that thing where every sequel should have like a big sort of twist that makes the the second movie feel like you finally get to the point where you're seeing what these movies, movies are really about. So like in Star Wars, when reveal happens that uh, Darth Vader is Luke's father, the series kind of comes into focus about what it's really about. Mm-hmm. Um, like a midpoint reversal in a normal structure. And I again, with Matrix 2, they reveal that everything about the one and the prophecy of saving the world is a lie, and it's all a part of the machine system. And therefore, again, Matrix 2 and 3, very controversial sequels that I do think are very flawed in terms of how they're told. But the ideas that are there are so like massive to me that I can't like look like uh, just uh, dismiss them as just cash-ins on the first one. Mm. Um, and I just hugely respect sequels that number one change the genre and and somehow at the same time man to tell the same three that trilogy kind of story. Um, and I feel like Star Wars has done that very well in kind. Of, I would say both the sequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Mm. And it's that they reveal themselves what they truly are halfway through the story. And again, with Last Jedi in the sequel trilogy, I feel like having that reveal, Rey's parentage and Kylo killing Snoke and all these sort of different fundamental aspects that are changed about that movie, it kind of reveals itself what it's really about. And you find out in those moments, even though it's a bit more vague, not in a bad way, but a bit more uh, not surface level as the twist is in Empire Strikes Back, um, it becomes what it's really about. And I would say the sequel trilogy is about identity and the choices you make and how your bloodline or whatever doesn't really matter. Mm. And I feel like, yeah, and I feel like, again, it continues on to the third movie where the third movie feels like you're finally answering all these questions about what the series is about. Return of the Jedi does that the entire way through of Luke, with Luke's journey. And with Rey's journey and Kylo's journey in the sequel trilogy, we get that as well. Um, even though you know people people disagree with how they did it in Rise of Skywalker, you can't really deny that they carried on the, the idea of identity. And oh choice. yeah, definitely. Identity yeah. is at the core, and it's what it's what makes it special. I think. Definitely, yeah. And like, it's interesting to me how trilogies often do that thing, and I feel like Matrix Two and Three and Pirates of the Caribbean Two and Three do it in different ways. But I don't. I wouldn't say in Pirates of the Caribbean Two or even Three. It's a moment where a character makes a choice that fundamentally changes the story. But, like I said before, the genre suddenly just kind of just shifts. And it's it's almost jarring for like an audience. This just went in wanting another movie, another Pirates Caribbean movie, and got mm. something completely, completely different, in my opinion. Yeah. And Matrix 2 and 3, again, similar sort of Empire Tracks Back structure of big twist that in the third movie is all payoff for what the series is actually going to be all about. Mm. Um. And I do feel like it's, I do love that structure. <laughs> it, it just, and I feel like the worst sequels don't do that sort of reveal. And I don't mean a plot twist. I just mean a sort of, this is what we're really about. And it's yeah, more... they, don't, they don't go for it as much as they should. Yeah, definitely. And like, I'm trying to think of like bad sequels, but like actually like kind of saw this, but yeah. And I feel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, Transformers 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever. They're just the same movie over and over again. Yeah. And they're, again, once again, there's no real big change in the universe and you don't feel that like you're going anywhere. <laughs> it's mm. McGuffin yeah. hunting. Like yeah. the, so the difference between 
them going for it in Pirates of the Caribbean and them going for it in Transformers mm-hmm. and in the Matrix and in the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. Yeah. I haven't actually seen the Matrix sequel, so I can't <laughs> can't say about them. But for the Pirates ones, they go big and they go for the, the big storyline, but they back it up with with thematic weight. Yeah, definitely. They, they go big for the themes mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Transformers, they sort of go for bigger, better action, but there's nothing behind it. Yeah. It just feels it, hollow. Yeah, it just feels like, oh, you like the you like the last movie where we had a big action ending. Mm. Therefore, let's make an hour long action ending for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't I was gonna say it doesn't always work. I mean I would say it never works almost, really. Mm. Um again, Kingsman Two or Men in Black Two I don't hate those movies, but I don't feel like they're necessary in the same way that other sequels can be. Yeah. Yeah. And because I feel like when you say these, say to a sequel, or say when you're making a sequel that we're going to expand the world, I, that doesn't just mean add a new element to it. Like a, like Kingsman, oh, we're in America now, or Men in Black. I can't even remember what happened, really. Uh, <laughs> like sequels that go, we're expanding the world, we're going to introduce more characters and more, more things. But you don't back those characters in those new areas up with any sort of sort of new meaning. It's just the same meaning but different skins. Mm. Um, so it kind of makes it lifeless and feel not at all necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, with, James Bond, with like James Bond, I feel that's not so like Casino Royale and Skyfall for me work and stand standalone good sequels to each other. But I feel like before that, and I guess it was definitely made in a time period where movies didn't have this sort of template to go off. But in the like 60s, 70s, 80s Bond movies, they're very much just individual adventures that mean nothing really, <laughs> and kind yeah. of the same thing over and over again. Um, which is why I don't think they resonate as much as audience to do as Star Wars does, because Star Wars it always resonates with you no matter when you're watching or how old you are compared to a James Bond movie where mm. you're probably going to enjoy it, but you're not going to it's not going to stay with you in a way, you know. No, it's not. You're not going to connect. Yeah. That's what I want to mention. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. That's our, is that our finishing note? I think it is. That's a very good note. That's a strong note to finish on. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to give you a round of applause. Woo! That was great. Well done. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, that brings us to the end. Okay. So... Those are our, that's our talk through of sequels. Mm. What we think is good, what we think is bad. Woo! The examples we love, the examples we're not so keen on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we we hope you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Uh-huh. Is there anything you want to add, Henry? Uh, well, I guess any audio problems, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Again, yes, let us know. It's yeah, not a perfect work. system. Yeah, we're working on this trying to work, make it work on whatever we've got around us. Um, Basically. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, if you're still, still listening. <laughs> yes, thank you. We hope you uh, listen to us again soon. Mm-hmm. I have been your co-host, Matthew. And I've been your other co-host, Henry. <laughs> You've been listening to the Marvelous in my podcast. Woo! See you later. Bye.